0: All right, the people of Yahweh. If you weren't here last week, just a little bit of explanation. Yahweh uh, is not a word that you use daily. Is that true? Anybody a daily user of the word, the name Yahweh? No. Okay. So some explanation. So as Daniel told us last week, Yahweh is the name that God gave to his people to refer to him, although in a creative way. When God said it, he said, My name is I am, or My name is I will be. But then he asked his people to not say, Hi, I am. They they asked them to greet him with reverence and to say that we would say to each other, He is. And so when people spoke the name of God moving forward with this new name, they didn't say, God is I am. They said to one another, He is. And that was the reference to God. And so that's the way we would say it. So Yahweh, and again, we're not clear on the pronunciation, but Yahweh basically means He is. That's our expression. And I'm going to give you something to do today and see how well you do at it. Anytime I say the name Yahweh, I want you to immediately say together, He is. Can we do that? Because I might say it pretty soon. (laughs) And I'd, I'd love it if you nailed it the first time. Right? So, people of Yahweh. Yes! Yes! I knew that would happen. I knew that would happen. You guys are the best. We didn't have to do that whole thing. Oh, nice try. Let's try again. No, we just nailed it. That's good. All right. But keep it up. Keep it up. Don't embarrass me in front of myself. All right. The passage of scripture that we are using for this teaching is the book of Isaiah. And we're actually deep into it. We're actually going to be in Isaiah 53 and 54. And that might seem a little odd. So why is that so? And here's why. Isaiah is a major prophet. And then there are minor prophets. Any idea why major, minor? It's only one reason. The books were big and the books were small. Yeah, yeah. Not the size of the prophet, but the size of the book. So Isaiah wrote a very long book called the book of Isaiah. The book is laid out in multiple uh, strokes or multiple sections, but in particular, it has two very large sections. Some even call it 2nd Isaiah, 1st and 2nd Isaiah. It's not labeled that way anywhere, but there's a big distinction, and believe it or not, we are beginning at the beginning of 2nd Isaiah. So there's a big transition that's happening here. The first half of Isaiah in general, let me back up one more step, prophets, prophets, Prophets were and are men and now women who are given the heart and the voice of God to speak it to other people. Uh, God wants to communicate clearly to us. He loves us and he doesn't want us to have to guess about what he's thinking and what he's feeling and what his desires are. And so he gives us a gift from the Holy Spirit called the gift of prophecy. And there were men in the Old Testament who were given the gift for life, and it was their vocation. And that's what they did. So when they spoke, they reflected the heart of God. And most often they spoke when the heart of God was the most misunderstood, when the people of God were not really in step with God, and they were not in step with his heart. And he wanted to clarify it, and he wanted them to understand. So he would send out prophets. But over hundreds of years of those guys being around, this people of Israel that more and more were frustrated with God and moved away from God, they started to hate prophets as well. And they started to get tired of the prophetic voice. And it got to be old. And they asked for other people to speak for God who would make things up. And they stopped listening to the prophets. Isaiah comes into the story pretty deep at a place where Israel is now two peoples. There's the people of Judah, and there's the people of Israel. We're not even one nation anymore. We're two separate nations, two tribes in the north and ten tribes in the south. The prophets are continuing to speak. Isaiah comes, and he speaks during the reign of four kings. Three of them were good, very good kings. The first, the second, and the fourth during his lifetime, during his role as a prophet were good kings so it was a good time to hear good words from God and so a lot of what he shared was affirmation he also shared judgment as well so Isaiah 1 the first half of Isaiah is a lot of recounting the history of Jewish people wanting and trying to follow after God and struggling and the end of that whole story is not good it gets worse and it gets worse. And you guys, generally, you know this to be true. But the second half of Isaiah is all about hope. The second half of Isaiah is kind of this idea that in the first 41 chapters, it's, gosh, guys, it's gotten bad. And, and we're really missing out on the will of God and being in step with God. But, and this is where the passage today turns, So if you want to turn there, you can. But we're only speaking about Isaiah 43, verse 1 today. So actually, everything you need is right there. So let's talk a little bit about this. Actually, again, let's back up one more step. Yahweh. Ah, good, good. Um, We, anyone in here Jewish? Not a one. Wow. Okay. All right. Good. Then this next session is, section is important. Um, we might think that this prophet and this story is all about someone else, and that we are highly disconnected. Like, what do the people of Yahweh have to do with? Oh, nice! I wasn't even ready for that one. <laughs> Thank you, Peter. Good leadership. <laughs> no, I know it wasn't. Yes. Um, you know how am I connected to this? I'm I'm a Jesus person, right? We are the people of Jesus. Jesus is our God. Uh, we might, as Christians, identify ourselves just right there. We say Christian. Christian is a part of Christ. So in Christ and Christian and follower of Jesus, there's no mention of Yahweh. He is. All right. So what's our connection? And I want to remind you, many of you know, but Paul goes to great lengths in his letter to the Romans to make this connection. And if you want to, after today, I'd encourage you to go away and read Romans 9, 10, and 11, where Paul makes this beautiful connection between Gentile Christians. What's a a Gentile? You guys know what a Gentile is? Yeah, anybody who's not a Jew. So, us, everybody in the room, we are technically non Jews. We are technically Gentiles. Paul makes this beautiful connection. And I want to look at it just a little bit with you, uh, and then we'll move on. So, here's the description from Paul of the people of Israel. He says, The people of Israel, theirs is the adoption to sonship, theirs is the divine glory, theirs are the covenants, the receiving of the law. The temple worship and the promises, theirs are the patriarchs, and from them we trace the human ancestry of Jesus. So there's the advantage to being a Jew. The people of Abraham, the Jewish people, were the beginning of all of the good story of God. And so much of what we have today began in the people of God, or the people of Yahweh. Okay, okay, we're working they have um, the divine glory in other words when God showed up on earth in visible ways that you could see with your eyes it was always among the Jewish people remember they met him at Mount Sinai when they finally got out of Egypt God set them free and they were on their way to a new place to live and God showed up on a mountain to show them how powerful he was and so what happened on the mountain what was there you guys remember that Thunder and lightning and smoke. And I mean, it was overwhelmingly awesome. And God said, come and worship me. And everybody said, no, thank you. Because it was pretty scary. And so they said to Moses, Moses, you go talk to God because we're afraid. You go talk to God. So that was the glory of God. When the temple, when the tent was built, the glory of God came. The presence of God came. You could see it with your eyes. When the temple was built in Jerusalem, the glory of God came. So the Jews had a tremendous experience for a lot of decades, a lot of centuries around the glory of God. There's where the promises, all the promises God made to his people started with the Jewish people. But here's one catch. When God first came to Abraham, who is the father of all Jews, he said to him, Abraham, you have no kids, but I'm going to make you the father of an entire country, And as a country, I want you to bless every other country. I'm going to be a guide, and I'm going to be your government, and I'm going to give you wisdom and laws and a way to live that will be amazing. And your kids will have the best experience anybody could have on earth. They will be rich. They will be healthy. Everyone will be equally cared for. There will be laws that just make life good. I mean, if there ever was a prosperity gospel, actually, there was one in the Old Covenant. It was a gospel of prosperity under God. But the point was, I want you to be an example to the rest of the world. And unfortunately, the Jews are just as human as the rest of us. And they kind of got selfish about it. And they got proud about it. And they kind of said, hey, this is just for us. You know, we're the, we're the good people. We're the chosen people. The good news is Christians never do that, right? We don't judge people without Jesus, right? No, no. So it's a human thing that's easy to do. And the Jewish people were very proud of who they were. And so again, not only did this nation fail to truly embrace God and trust him and walk with him, but they also became the opposite of what they were called to be. They were called to be a witness of how good God is. And instead, the nations around them were like, your God sucks. (laughs) Your God is cruel. Your God is all these things. And that was not what they were called to do. They were called to do the opposite. And so God not only reverses the failure to find redemption through the law, but he reverses the failure to reach all of mankind. God never meant to be selfish or exclusive with his goodness. So Paul tells us in Romans a little bit more about this. Here's Romans 10, 12. For there is now no difference between Jew and non-Jew. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of Yahweh will be saved. Thank you. Yes. Everyone who calls on his name will be saved. So God broke this exclusivity. And now he says, everything I ever did for Israel, it's for all of you. Everything I ever promised Israel, I promised to you, you who are Danish and German and English and Welsh and African and Indonesian. My promises are for all of you. And so Paul shows us that Yahweh he is. is not only a God of Jews, but he is the God of all humanity and everyone who would follow and believe in him. So I share this with you today because we're talking about the people of Yahweh and we need to understand, we're those people with just as much access and right to the full promises and the history of of God so now the history of the Old Testament is your history Abraham is your father we are descended spiritually by faith from Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the new heaven and the new earth we will be counted among Yahweh's people does this make sense are you with me So, words spoken in the book of Isaiah to the people of Yahweh are also words spoken to us. So, this is not Jewish history. This is our history. This is our God. And the promises that he made are to us. So, let's take a look at this promise. Remember, big transition for 42 chapters. It's largely been about the actions of the Israelites. It's largely been about rebellion. And it's largely been about the failure of this relationship. So that's why these first two words are so critical. But now. But now. To help you understand this, I want you to think of your own history. And some of us came into relationship with Jesus over time and slowly Some of us came to him abruptly. Who who has a story that your story is that story of almost a day, night and day, where you went from not believing and not hoping in God to believing and hoping? Who has that kind of a story, a history? Lori? Yeah. So don't be ashamed, Lori, please. (laughs) And during the Jesus people movement, that was something to be proud of, right? (laughs) Those are the people we brought up all the time. So, would you tell us just a couple of things about? I remember the day sitting in church, and, and God had been working in me at fifteen over the summer, and I remember the day the pastor was speaking, and the veil was pulled, and I went, "Oh my gosh, this is truth! I have to have it." So, I mean, it was a you know process of three or four months of God bringing me in and around Christians and teaching me. But I remember the moment of just, oh, "I have to have that. Mm-hmm. I have to." Have yep. That was amazing. Yeah. yep. 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 Yeah. So yeah, and historically, no God in your, in your immediate family at the time. Yeah. So brand new news. Yeah. yeah. So what you experienced and what you felt, that's what this is all about. So this is that but now moment. So for you, that Sunday, that particular teaching was but now, right? And that's what we're talking about. So that's what this is. This is, this is uh, the prophet speaking for God, saying, okay, all this history, but now, but now. But now, what? But now, this is what the Lord says. This is what the Lord says. The prophet wants to clarify there are a lot of other voices that speak into our lives. There are a lot of philosophers, there are a lot of people who want to interpret life or interpret the scriptures. We all have our own voices. Um, And we listen to different voices. But this prophet is saying, hey, here's what God says. And so if you know a little bit about God, this is like, oh, this is good news. This is a voice I want to pay attention to. This is a voice that has authority. It's going to be good. So given all the voices you hear, this is what the Lord says. And here's a clarification. He who created you, Jacob. Again, the prophet is speaking to the people of who? Oh, yes, true. Absolutely. <laughs> nice, man. We're killing it. <laughs> yeah. And and ultimately that is the people of Israel, and before Israel's name was changed, his name was Jacob. That's right. That's right. Yeah, absolutely. So he's speaking to this people, why are they called the people of Israel? Yeah, they're descendants. Yeah, it's like saying, I'm, I'm one of the people of Gary. <laughs> I'm a descendant of Gary, and there's another one, and by law, there's another one, and by law, there's another one. <laughs> we are the people of Gary. Okay, so these are the people of Jacob, the people of Israel. Israel's life was a microcosm of the entire nation. What happened with him happened with all other people that were in that tribe. And I want to just remind you in my own words a little bit of his history so that you can understand why this is important. Jacob was born grabbing on to something. He came out of his mother's womb with something in his hand. You guys know what it was? What was it? It was his brother's heel. Yeah, what what a picture. Like, oh shoot, I'm not the firstborn, but I'm going to grab on and I want as much of it as I can. Right? I mean, this, this child has no consciousness. And there's something in his spirit that says, no, me. And his name, Jacob, means to grasp. It means to, to uh, contend, to wrestle. And even as an infant being born, before he took a breath, he was wrestling with Esau. Saying, no, I want to be the firstborn. I want that. And that, that spirit continued throughout his life, right? So, and unfortunately, mom and dad supported this division. Dad said, "Esau's my guy. He's tough. He's hairy. He's a hunter. He loves the field. He's like me. He's Jake Johnson. <laughs> You're just wearing camo, so that just seemed like a fit. It, actually, it sounds a lot like Peter Jenkins. I think. You know, that's yeah. In fact, the bread beard. Yeah, this is Esau. This is Esau right here. If you need a picture of Esau, there's your guy. Jacob was favored by mom, and." I'm not going to pick anybody here. <laughs> I, I might pick myself, actually, because my mom, yeah, my wife was going to say that, so why not? <laughs> no, there, there is a very, it's hard because I grew up with both of you all the time, but my mom was the one I came home to as a teenager to say, man, I had a bad day or would you pray for me? You know, that was the relationship mom and I had. Fortunately they did not, they were not split, right, between us, yeah. No favored child, but solid relationship. Uh, Yeah. And so that's who these two guys were. And so mom and dad actually supported this contention between these two brothers. And so at one point, uh, again, Esau comes in from the field. He's super hungry. He says, I'm about to die. Jacob is in the kitchen and he's an amazing cook as he should be because he takes after mom and he's made this amazing stew. And his brother says, I need some of that right now. And Jacob is still wanting to grasp Esau's right. And he says, I'll give it to you. If you turn over to me, your birthright. If you give me the right to say I'm the firstborn. Esau didn't care. He said, whatever, I'm hungry, fine. Didn't really mean anything to him, which is amazing. The value wasn't there. Later, you know, at the end of the father's life, uh, Isaac is, is ready to bless Esau as the firstborn and truly give him that blessing. And mom And Jacob conspired to steal it. So dad's pretty blind. And he can't really tell the brothers apart that well visually. And so Esau goes out to hunt and bring dad his favorite meal. Jacob sneaks in, makes up a meal, puts on some fake hair, some fur, goes in, gets the blessing. So that's a whole story of contending for Privilege contending for a place contending for an idea. I have to have an identity I have to belong to something. I want to be the firstborn. I want to be the one who gets blessed Then I won't go into all the detail, but he goes after another relationship He finds a wife and then he ends up in partnership with his uncle his wife's uncle Laban And they have a 14-year relationship that is the same thing. It's all contention Laban has flocks and herds and he's very rich and Jacob says, I want that. I want that. And so he does some crazy weird stuff, and God blesses it. <laughs> and he actually becomes quite rich himself, and then they, then they depart. And on Jacob's way to go back to where he came from, he's about to meet Esau. And he knows Esau might want to kill me. And so he sends a bunch of gifts. And if you think about it, Jacob must have been a tremendously stressed man. The relationships that were designed for support and partnership and family were highly contentious. But let me ask you why. Who chose that kind of relationship? Jacob did. Jacob chose it himself. God had promised to Abraham and then said, I reiterate the promise to Isaac, and then said, I reiterate my promise to Jacob, and Jacob just didn't believe it. And Jacob felt like, I have to fight to get blessing. I'll fight my brother. I'll fight my uncle. And this was where he was at. So while he's on his way back to where he came from to set up shop with his family, where he had come from, he meets God. And it says he wrestled all night long with someone, a man, a person. And the person said, hey, the sun is rising. You have to let go of me. And he said, I won't do it until you bless me. Same theme, right? I won't let go the heel, the birthright, the sheep, the animals. I won't let go until you bless me. And whoever he's wrestling with says, okay, I give you a blessing. Who is he actually wrestling with? He's wrestling with God because God says so. In fact, here I'll read the passage for you. That night, Jacob got up and took his two wives, his female servants, and his 11 sons, and he crossed the ford of the Jabbok River. And after he had sent them across to the uh, the stream, he sent over all his possessions. So Jacob was left alone, and a man, someone, wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched Jacob's hip, and he caused it to dislocate, and he said... Uh, and then the man said, let me go, for it is daybreak. And Jacob said, again, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And then the man asked him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob, contender, wrestler, clutch, grabby. This is his name. And he said, the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel because you have wrestled or struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. This is fascinating to me because I hear God giving in to all of Jacob's purposes. He's saying, you've been successful in all of your selfishness and in all of your struggling. You've been successful. And so you beat me. I'm God. And you wrestled a blessing away from me. And so I'm going to give it to you. And from that day on, Jacob had a limp. Because his didn't have a chiropractor. (laughs) And that hip never got back in the right place. And he had a limp. Now, what do you think is going on here? What do you think is going on here? I believe that God is so loves Jacob so much that he just wants to set him free from a life of contending and fighting and struggling for everything and ruining relationships in the midst of it, that he, God, says, I give up, you win, you beat me, you're the guy. Yep. So I don't know that God is like, it's fine but you're selfish and, and a little bit tricky. I, I'm, a, I can't beat you. Right. So it's not a yielding out of God not knowing what to do, but I think He sees exactly what Jacob actually needs, uh-huh. and He honors that. That's yeah, true. yeah, that's good. Kirsten was just clarifying that she would say that um, that Jacob's wrestling became more and more significant, and it went from possessions to meaning. From just wanting stuff to wanting a real life that made sense, and that's what the wrestling was about. And I would, I would we would agree with you absolutely. That's such a great point. Uh, to move on, I, I believe, and, and I think this is what the scriptures are teaching: is that God's goal was to release Jacob from the struggle. And again, if you look at the history of Israel, same story. Israel wrestled and fought for things that God was literally going to give to them. He literally was going to give to them. And I think this really culminated in the coming of Jesus. God gives himself through his son Jesus to Israel and sends him there to talk and to teach and to explain and to be accepted. And, it's, and, and Jesus' coming was a free gift with no conflict Jesus, it said he would not bend a reed that's already slightly broken, that he wouldn't finish snuffing out a wick that's just about dead. Jesus would not contend with anyone. He would not fight with anyone. He came to bring a free gift. And yet, the Jews contended so tremendously that they murdered him. They fought with the very one who had come in gentleness and kindness and life to give them life, and they took life away from him. That's how confused we get as humans about what it is to be human and to follow after God. They fought with him and they killed him. Now, in God's sovereignty, that worked out. There was a plan for that. But remember what Jesus said as he was getting close to Jerusalem for the last time. He sat outside of town on a hill and he said, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how many times I have cried over you. I would have gently welcomed you into relationship with me, but you would not have it. You would not have it. That's the heart of the Father to every human, not just to Jews, not just to the people in Jerusalem. I want you. I am coming after you. And humans, we just tend to say, no, thank you, I'll fight for myself. I'll fight for myself. And that's what happens here. So back to, our, back to this one verse. But now, after an entire national history of struggle and failure, this is what the right voice, the voice of the Lord says, the one who created the struggler, the one who created the contender. In other words, the one who knows what Jacob is like and why he's like that and what Jacob wants and what's important to Jacob. Jacob, I know you. People of Jacob, I know you. Do not fear. That is the universal divine greeting to humans, right? Remember Mary, woken up by an angel? Mary, don't be afraid. Remember after Jesus came back from the dead and was rather glorified and scary and showed up in the room? And the disciples were like, oh, shoot. (laughs) He said, hey, don't be afraid, it's me. The universal divine greeting to humans, don't be afraid for I have redeemed you. This was said in the context of a nation that was still decades away from going into exile into Assyria. This was a future promise. I know where you are right now, and I know what you're struggling with, but I've already made arrangements for your redemption. Do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. And this is the universal human story. We all desire God. We all desire the one who made us because the one who made us gets us. If there's anybody that knows what you are like and what you love and what's important to you and how you were put together, it's God. God says, I know exactly who Molly is. I know exactly how I made her. I know what she loves because I gave it to her. I know what she's good at because I gave it to her. That's creator. And yet somehow we are afraid of him and we feel like we have to struggle for life and I would encourage you to realize we struggle with all the wrong people we struggle with spouses we struggle with children we struggle with parents (laughs) the very people that have been gifted to us to show us what God is like ideally are the ones we struggle with and we struggle with the jobs that we have and we struggle with the details of our life and we struggle with things that are hard and difficult like pain and suffering but the voice of god says do not struggle you don't need to struggle i have called for you by your name molly by your name dale i've called you by name you are mine there you don't need to struggle You don't need to resist. And this is how all humans are invited to be, and you don't have to say it right now, (laughs) the people of Yahweh. Every human is invited, and every human struggles. And I can't tell you why, but this is reality. So this is the introduction to a tremendous invitation by God into a life that is free from struggle, that is free from fighting for whatever you think you need. And ultimately, the answer to this is in what God calls the Sabbath rest. The Sabbath rest of God, other than one day a week, is a lifestyle where you finally stop struggling. Even when it feels like you should, even when it feels like, gosh, if I don't struggle, I'm not going to get what I want, and I'm going to get taken advantage of. I have to fight right now. And so we're just in this lifestyle of, ah, when am I going to get it? When are things going to be right? When are my kids not going to be sick? When am I going to have the job that just is the job I really want that fulfills me? When is my spouse going to understand what I need and help me out a little more? When is my boss going to stop being so toxic? I need, I need, I struggle, I struggle, I struggle. And, and the invitation from God is, human struggle's not the way. Human struggle's not the way. Human struggle killed Jesus. The way is trust that God is not passive, that God is not far away, but that he deeply cares, that he's tremendously powerful, that he is Yahweh, the one true God, And that He is going to take care of it. And I know, I know we we tend to believe this somewhat. A lot the phrase that's out there right now is God's got this. You heard that phrase? Have you used that phrase? God's got this? That's just a reflection of this truth right here. Yahweh is in control. Thank you. (laughs) Yahweh is in control. And so this is our hope. And, And this is what we are called to. So we're gonna continue to go through this book in all of its detail. And understand what it means to cease striving, Psalm 46, and know that he is Yahweh. Cease striving and know that he is God. Let's, uh, let's worship out of this reminder. Let's worship out of this hope that we have. And Peter and Consuela and Tim, Kale. Why don't you come on up and let me pray. Uh, Why don't you stand and pray together with me, everybody. Go ahead and stand up. God in heaven, we're grateful that you remind us that you are the God of all, and that from the beginning you created everything and that there's nothing on the planet and nothing throughout history that you didn't make that you didn't fashion carefully with intention and design and there's nothing including rebellion and brokenness and pain and suffering that you cannot use for the good of humans and father as much As maybe I don't feel it, I just want to say I believe you and I trust you, God. I believe that you are at work even though you are God for us here in this family. We believe that you're at work and we believe that you work effectively and we believe that you are powerful, more powerful than any other force or person And so we thank you for this promise and we thank you that you've called us by name one at a time and over and over again. And Father, I ask you now, Holy Spirit, if some of us have forgotten that, would you speak our name in this worship time? Holy Spirit, would you say our names to us again and remind us that Yahweh knows our name. And Father, we want to obey you and we want to stop struggling and know that you are God. We thank you before we fully believe it that we are yours. We belong to God Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, through Jesus Christ and by the power of the Holy Spirit. And we worship you now in spirit and in truth. We worship you because we belong to you, because we are redeemed. Because we belong. Because we have a name. Amen.